Welcome to Across the Desk and our new series, The Future Looks Good. We're focusing on autism and employment and connecting you to resources that can help your future look good. You are the future. The future looks good. everybody and welcome to Across the Desk. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Plouffe and we are back with our new series, The Future Looks Good. And the lovely Paulette Goddard, oh, she's doing a happy dance, which you can't see. One day I'll convince her to do video and then you'll be able to see, but right now you just no. have to imagine it. It, it. No, no imagination here, but hi everybody. <laughs> also Paulette's birthday, so happy birthday uh, yeah. to <laughs> you. <laughs> she's thrilled. Yes. So on our last podcast, or the last couple, we have been focusing on tools that um, we are now incorporating as part of our coaching aspect of Spiro Careers Canada. Um, and we're focusing, well, actually, it's been interesting. Like this morning, we did a little exercise, and we went searching specifically for autism and employment, different agencies and services and, and what have you, and which, of course, we've done before. And so then started looking for that specifically but it's it's interesting because i think paulette we noticed that a lot of the autism services get rolled under general disability yes they do yeah, yeah. which leads us into today's topic which is asking for help um and when we went looking you know for our own help and whatever um oh hang on a minute sorry just gonna oh yeah he did that already it's okay sorry segue so we were looking for that information for a specific reason, but what it kind of brought to light for us is how hard it is to find help for being specifically on the spectrum and employment searching. Mm -hmm. um, I think it makes us both kind of glad we're fixing that. We're <laughs> <laughs> working on it. But it brings to light, you know, the asking for help aspect. And, and that's how people end up meeting Paulette and Com Spectrum Consulting is that they're looking for help mm -hmm. and have been connected to you. What are some of the top things that happen or what are some of the top things that people come to you when they're looking for help? Okay, now this is, it, this, we have to divide this into two categories because the family brings a client to me even though the client is an adult. Yeah. And the family wants A, B, and C, which is usually they're sitting at home, can you get them a job? Can you get them out doing things? Yep. The client might come to me and say, well, they want me to work, but I'm not ready to work, but I'd like to try this. And I maybe want to go to school for this. And oh. I just need to have more friends and meet more people socially. Right. So again, different goals and different uh, things. I've had clients come to me and uh, I need to get out of the house. I need to live independently. How can I do that? Yeah. Well, you start at the beginning because they haven't been working. Yeah, kind of hard to live on your own when you can't pay your bills. <laughs> so we, we, again, start looking at the basics of if you want to live on your own, let's find a job and look at your budget and see how much money you have to make to live on your own in the area that you want to live. And we look and research apartments, what they cost, and we do the whole budgeting. And then we say, now, what kind of work can you do? And we start looking at the job that will help them live independently. It's a big, huge process. It's not simple and straightforward. Yeah. But I've had other people come to me and say, look at my resume. Is this good enough for me to try and get a job? 
and we might have to tweak the resume a bit. And then they start applying for jobs and they wonder why they're not getting interviews. They're not getting something. So what's wrong? What's not working for them in that aspect? Right. Right. So when people come to me, it's for a multitude of different reasons. Some of them are recent graduates. Uh, one gentleman graduated from the Sheridan College animation course. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't know how to get a job because it's a networking type industry. Yes. Yeah. So again, taught him networking skills, set him up for uh, at certain events that he was attending on how to network. And he's been working in the field full time for the last two years. But it's a skill that didn't come naturally to him. So you everybody, you, you know, you just gave me an idea, right? Which I know I'm you love so hearing. Sorry, you're writing things down. <laughs> um, but these are things that, you know, they're very unique and individual. So it can't be, well, they're going to come to me and they need A, B, and C. They're coming to me and they need D, A, Z. It's not yeah. typical. There's nothing the same within it. Most of it is they want to work. Well, you made a really valid point earlier in our conversation. So for context, you know, Paulette and I are business partners. Um, I founded Spiro Careers Canada. Paulette is the principal for ComSpectrum Consulting. We came to the table together through Autism Job Club, which is an amazing local organization here in Burlington, and just started talking and whatever. And then as Spiro Careers Canada started to grow and Paulette started, you know, we started working together more. Um, she's now my business partner with Spiro in addition to ComSpectrum. And we noticed really quickly that you, you cannot lump people with an autism diagnosis, um, especially at certain ability levels in with, you know, folks that, you know, under the disability label and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that that shouldn't happen. There's some cases where absolutely that should happen and it's appropriate and all good, but there should also be options for help for folks who don't identify with an additional disability or there's no cognitive impairment or skill impairment or what have you. And it all comes down to that initial assessment, like Paulette's saying, to create a unique opportunity for learning and success for each individual. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that came up when you said, um, that when you meet with somebody, parents have a goal and mm -hmm. and person on the spectrum has a poll or a poll. Mm -hmm. Man, your language issue is jumped through the screen at me. Awesome. Um, a goal. Is there a life assessment in that, right? Like we were talking earlier about a life assessment. So somebody says, My goal is to live on my own, mm -hmm. yet parents have never enforced chores, housekeeping shopping, mm -hmm. all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. Like my kids, for an example, um, my son, and we share this every time, just in case this is somebody's first time listening to us. Um, both Paulette and I have sons on the spectrum, um, both relatively successful. My son's 22 and COVID has kind of put a crimp in him pursuing his welding trade. Paulette's son is in his thirties and successfully living in the U.S. and has a partner and a job in the whole nine yards. But those early years were a pain in the ass when, you know, things didn't exist as they could and should now. Um, but Thomas, you know, my kids, and every mother can relate to this, my kids, like nine and eight, mm -hmm. two kids, their lunches started coming home. And they were like getting 
picky persnickety. Well, I had that yesterday. I didn't want it today. You know, you didn't ask me what I wanted. I didn't want that type of cookie. I wanted this type of cookie, yada, yada, horse pucky. And I was like, you know, I'm done with that. <laughs> Took both of them into the kitchen, said, here's the meat, here's the bread, here's the treats, here's the fruit. You know, treats are 2% of the lunch, everything else. And if you mess that around, I'm going to start making your lunches again. And from that moment on, they started making their own lunches. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, school continues. They're now like 11 and 10. Mom, I'm out of underwear again. I'm like, well, I guess you're going to have a itchy bum. Like either you remember to put your laundry out. So after a little while of that, took them both into the laundry room, said, here's the soap. Here's the washing machine. Here's the setting you need. Only put this much soap in or you're cleaning up whatever comes bubbling out of it. They've been taking care of their laundry ever since. Thomas walks the dog. He puts out the garbage. He puts out the recycling. He has helped my husband re-roof the house. He has helped him take a chimney off the house. This summer, he helped build my, my she shed, which is actually a storage shed, but it's really nice. Um, he's done, because we've never told him, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I've never been a mom that's, oh, let me do that for you. That's too hard. I'm more buck the heck up and get shit done. So you, so you initially asked if there's a checklist or an assessment that would indicate life skills, skills, yeah. life skills that people have. And I do have one that covers everything all the way up to investment banking. So yeah, I'm not good at that. So perhaps I should take your list. <laughs> yeah, no, there's stuff on there that I don't do or don't want to do or don't care to learn. But it is one of those assessments that does give you an understanding. And what I often have done, people do is I have the parents do that checklist first. Yeah. And then the person on the spectrum does it on the same form. And the oh, difference is because that's good. Because what people assume that their child can or cannot do is quite different what the from what the yeah. young adult perceives they can do. And it's quite fascinating to uh, check out the inventory and, and see where the skill skills are. Right. Um, and some of the things that are on there, of course, it's a very old assessment. It needs to be updated as far as banking because it says can open own bank account. Well, it doesn't oh, say you anything still about do that. No, but it doesn't say anything about online banking. You send it to me. I fix it up. It's all good. Yes. So there is some things that need to be adjusted on that because online banking is what everybody does these days. Nobody. Well, see, okay, so now Thomas was slow to that. Yeah. It was a little pain, but you just, oh, see, now you gave me another idea. This is all on but you. That's why I also have got a, a, a training program for how to do online banking. So it's already there because a lot of people don't understand how to yeah. do it. So I've done visuals in a PowerPoint that actually show people what the steps are for online banking. And again, it's mm -hmm. just a skill that some people have naturally and have no problem with jumping into and other people have challenges with doing, right? But there but are- it's that perception of ability and the how that perception of ability impacts mm -hmm. when and how and why you ask for help. Yes. Oh, girlfriend, yeah. that was like epiphany situation. So there's That's a lot yeah, there's a lot right, of things to think about this because in with my son, my husband kept on telling me, well, he's not doing that at home. He's never going to do that again. He's never going to learn how to use that skill. Mm -hmm. He chose to move out. He has all the skills to do that. And he was able to budget, balance, uh, balance his accounts, pay his rent. He was able to do all of that. He never did that at home. Yeah. But he had no choice once he moved in, moved out. So he had to learn and he learned quickly how to do those things, right? And did he ask for help when he struggled with it or? 
or if he struggled with it, sorry? No, he never struggled with it. It was just something that was automatic. His spending habits are still out of control because he will not buy the $2 uh, umbrella from the dollar store. He will buy the Star Wars umbrella for 50 bucks, but that's his that's choice. That's not out of control. That's wise investing. Okay, wise investing. Because I would take umbrellas. the Star Wars umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> well, Star Trek, but that, I would consider that an investment, but that's just me. It's a depreciable investment, which does not add to your assets and does not add to your overall value portfolio, but freaking fun. Yeah. But you know, he's learned and he's grown. So that's where he's at, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, so one of the things that happened relatively recently with, with Thomas and asking for help was when he went to Sheridan Mm -hmm. and my son uh, successfully attained a one-year certificate in visual and creative arts. And it was during that time, right? So I set him up for success at the beginning and then I backed off and I was like, there you go, sunshine, all on you. I didn't abandon him, but he needed to be the one, you know, stressing and putting the effort in and whatever. And we did monitor that. Like Thomas doesn't have a diagnosis of anxiety, but everybody has moments of it. And I didn't want to flip him over the edge. But there came a day where I got really frustrated because things were going a bit sideways and he wasn't asking for help from the resources I had set him up with. Mm-hmm. So he would come home and and explain about the situation. I'm like, well, did you go and speak to so-and-so at the Ask Success Center at Sheridan? Well, no. Why not? Well, you know, he had a real bordering on phobia about asking for help. Mm -hmm. Part of it, I think, and I'm just saying this out loud for the first time, was when he was little, um, and we, we talked about this yesterday, was the whole... Um, not asking for help, do it for me situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when he was little, ginger hair, green eyes, pale freckly skin, everybody wanted to jump in and do things for him all this. Their, their perception of his ability was mm-hmm. really skewed compared to what he was delivering on at home. Mm-hmm. And he was starting to develop learned helplessness, mm-hmm. which was torquing me off. Now he's almost gone the other way where asking for help can be a real challenge for him. Mm-hmm. And it can really get in the way of moving certain things forward. Mm-hmm. So I had a heart to heart and said, do you think I do what I do without asking for help? What do you mean? You don't ask for help. You, I'm like, I ask for help all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna waste time struggling and doing things wrong and whatever, just because my ego might say, oh, this, this, this could be perceived this way. Like if mm-hmm. I don't know something, I don't know something. Mm-hmm. And if asking for help is the way to find out how to do it, all right. Yeah. yeah do, you, do you find that with clients? A lot of my clients, when, when they're doing a certain checklist that I give them, it says, can you ask for help? And they all often say, no, they don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. And they don't ask for help for a variety of different reasons. One of the reasons is, uh, especially in, in the employment field, is if they ask for help, they're going to have their, they have the fear that their managers are, I think they're not capable yeah. of doing the job. And that's Huge. not the case because every employee needs to ask for help and ask for it when they need it. Uh, the um, anxiety takes over and interferes. Mm-hmm. So when they have anxiety about asking for help, they don't ask for help. Um, a lot of people think that they should learn and know how to do things. 
yeah. I was hired for this job, therefore I should be accomplished in all the skills and tasks that go along with this no. job. They wouldn't have given me the job. Bull horse bucky. Which is bull horse bucky because there is a period within every job where there's a period of training. Three within months. Within period of training, you don't learn everything about the job. Can't. No, you can't. It's, it does not, it's usually a week or two weeks or maybe less than that. Up to three months to fully yeah. learn any position. So by the way, proven fact, mm -hmm. up and, to three months, which yeah, is why the had, probationary period is usually three months. Yeah. But also after those three months, if something comes along that you've never experienced before yeah. at the job, you have to ask for clarification, help, something, guidance, anything. Mm -hmm. And it should be there for you. It's not that, oh, this new thing dropped down. I must know this. I must learn this. And I must absolutely have all the skills to do it. Yeah. You don't. And that's you what can't. working and with coworkers, working with mentors is for. You ask for the help you need when you need it. Yeah. But a lot of people on the spectrum have a big block when it comes to that. They and I wonder, do. sorry, but you, could, you got me thinking. It's all your fault. Um, I wonder if reframing, asking for help, it's also an opportunity for the employer to identify challenges in the training system. Mm -hmm. It could also identify gaps in um, communication, mm -hmm. right? I think you've shared a couple of times where a manager had one perception of the role, but an activity kept coming up for that person mm -hmm. that they hadn't been trained on. And, and it's a, you know, maybe we, we reframe asking for help as an opportunity to teach as well. Yeah. This was clear with one of my clients because they had a very strict training policy to how to work with different systems. Yep. And there was 35 tasks within the system that you had to, ma to master within three months. And a lot of people, not just the autistic people, but the other people were having, uh, neurotypicals were having trouble learning some of these tasks. Yep. One of my clients, who's extremely good visual learner, said, well, if you just look at it this way. And exactly. Before, and before three months probation, she was actually training new hires because she could see things differently. Yeah. Because it's, she, it's a skill. You work the system and how their textbook teaching system was not effective for those 35 tasks. Yeah. Right. So this happens all the time. Like, you know, people see things differently. People understand things differently, but people need to also be able to ask for help when they don't understand or see things the way that it's or offer. Like if you, I worked at Girl Guides of Canada for four and a half years, one of my favorite jobs, but I had a coworker who I will swear on a Bible was on the spectrum. And if I, if, if we got a new, there was a, we were at, we were under a thing called transformation and there was a huge amount of change going on. Like every other week, something was changing because it was a brand new situation and, and they were being responsive in that capacity. So you would learn a way to do something and then it would change in response to whatever. So if I found a, a quicker, better, faster, whatever way, the way our office was divided up, there was two of us on one side and like four on the other. Mm -hmm. um, and that was for other logistical reasons. We weren't like the ugly stepsisters or anything. Um, I'd go over and say, hey guys, did you know this? Like I've just used it and it was really good. And invariably this person would pipe up and say, oh, I found that last week. Mm -hmm. But refuse to share or not think to share or whatever the information. And a number of times I said, if you've, discovered that why wouldn't you well I figured you I figured you guys would already know 
mm-hmm. which I think was her truthful answer. Mm-hmm. And in her perception of the situation, well, if I figured it out, they would have as well. Whereas I am, I'm going to make sure you know. And if you already know, fantastic. But 90% of the time, the rest of the team hadn't found that. Yeah. Right. So offering help is just as important for as asking for help. Yeah. People don't learn through osmosis. Well, uh, (laughs) some do, but if it's a brand new job and it's in an uncertain environment, whatever, then I always operate under the assumption that we're all learning. Yeah. And if I'm asking for help, I was also that person that if they changed the policy, I would invariably misinterpret the written version. Mm -hmm. And I'm a massive, avid reader, so language has always been a strength for me, but it was taking the written instruction and applying it without a kinesthetic action myself to the process. Mm -hmm. And my brain just did not make that leap correctly. Yeah. Pretty much every time. So (laughs) (laughs) invariably my manager would come to me and go, I'm going to give you these instructions. I want you to give it a go and then let's see how you mess it up. (laughs) I mean, like, that's fair. (laughs) I took on that role. So one of the things we had brought up was asking for help versus getting people to do things for you. And I would love to hear your perception on the negative impact of that tool Mm -hmm. or choice or whatever you want to call it. Hit me, sister. What do you think of that? If you continue to do things for people, they will never learn and grow from it. One of the things I do very clearly when I'm coaching individuals is I will not write a resume for you. I will teach you how to write a resume. Yeah, man. I will not go to a job interview with you and talk to the person. I will go to a job interview with you for support and you will do the talking. It's not an, uh, if I was to sit there and, and write the resume and go to the interview and do all the talking and get you the job. It's How are you going to do the job? Uh, yeah. And then you're going to say, but Paulette, you're a job coach. You have to stand beside me while I'm working. And I go, absolutely not. I do not do that as a job coach. Right. As a job coach, if you have a challenge that you need to talk to me about, you come to me and ask for help. Aha. Uh-huh, we're back to the ask for help here. Aha. Uh-huh. Look right? at that. Sneaky, yeah. right? But it's one of those things that if you don't teach, if you don't encourage, if you don't give that loving, gentle push, People are going to be relying on you their entire life to do things for you. There's the negative consequence is that if you fall into this, this learned helplessness, which, you know, in, in full honesty, if I hadn't interceded in the school system and recognized what they were doing, Mm -hmm. it would have become much worse Yeah. because when as parents or service providers or educators or whatever, we impart our perception of somebody's ability onto them versus really stepping back and, and mm-hmm. testing and seeing if they can do it, mm-hmm. then you are creating this really negative thought pattern that they are not capable. And, and I do that quite a bit with, with friends who have younger kids. Um, they'll see the kids struggling. Like I'll, I will have been doing something with the kid and letting them find their way. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to do. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. I'll, I'm like, no, no, back up. Like, just hang on, give them an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always did that with my kids when they were little, if it was a new task, as long as it wasn't dangerous, obviously. But mm-hmm. 
I never, ever made the assumption that they couldn't do it until they showed me that they couldn't mm -hmm. or showed me that they needed, you know, more support than I anticipated. I probably over perceived their abilities on mm -hmm. some level. Um, but I think long term, you know, you and I have both seen through working with people on the spectrum and, and in a variety of ways, what happens when mm -hmm. there's that huge disconnect. Mm -hmm between actual ability and perception of ability yeah and it's sad yeah it is it is so what have you seen as a long-term consequence of that do it for me not from a coach's perspective but from a client's perspective you know if, if parents have and i'm sorry parents but this is where it starts um if parents have created that learned helplessness do it for me thing what I often see is, is individuals who are what we call basement gamers, couch potatoes. Because, you know, everything has been offered to me. Everything has been given to me. I've not had to work for anything. I'm going to sit here and play video games because if I need a new video game, mom will buy it for me. Oh. Yeah. So, Sorry, again, it's if you want that lifestyle for your child, set it up that way. If you don't want that lifestyle for your child, you have to encourage them to move, grow, and learn. And when I say move, grow, and learn, I also want them to learn from their mistakes and their failures. Yeah, yeah. My son, when he got his first job, he was fired. Never made three months probation. I have had that happen on occasion. <laughs> Everybody learns from these failures. Um, yep. My son was working at a record store in Toronto, and then he moved to London, Ontario, worked at the same type of record store. The same name, but it was under different management and ownership, obviously. And he thought he could follow the same rules that was in Toronto compared to London. Well, he got fired again. Oh, we been. But you've got to learn that every employment opportunity is different. Every manager is different. And you have yeah. to work with all these people. He learned that. Yeah. And he started to adapt to that. And he... I think he got fired about five years ago from one job. So he's still learning. Yes, he's 35. He's still learning. But again, he's now more resilient. The last yes. job he was fired from, he had another job within 24 hours by talking to these people. So he's learned to network and talk to people and say, what's out there? What can you do? And he's now working full time in one job that he got because he yep. knew somebody who was working in that field and they were hiring. Networking is a form of asking for help. It's a more professional form of asking for help. And I had not had, so my, my background, and as Paulette knows, um, I entered into the workforce in travel and tourism, which is where you're providing help, mm -hmm. and then segued into um, healthcare administration. So I was a healthcare administrator for 10 years. Then I was an instructor for two years, again, giving help, mm -hmm. which I loved being an instructor. It was awesome. Um, and then moved into, or no, I had a, a, a segue in between where I didn't know what to do that my journey through healthcare had ended and man, did I need help? Like, didn't know how to redirect, didn't know how to pivot, didn't know how to like, what direction do I take next without having to take more schooling? Mm -hmm. And so ended up going to uh, the center for skills and development and taking a program called Career Explorations Express. Another way of asking for help. Everybody in that room was asking for help. Mm -hmm. And I was, how old was I? 30 really, really old, really, really old. Oh, bugger off. I'm only 50 now. Uh, I was 30 something when I did that. Yeah. 
didn't have to start networking until I started working. I went back to school again and got my postgraduate in corporate communications in 2011, 12. And my first job, man, I had to network my ass off. Mm -hmm. And not small potato networking, but like networking with heads of government organizations and ministers for this, that, and the other thing, and major CEOs, heads of large school departments, heads of colleges. Like this was like hardcore networking. Um, and as we both know, my filter can be a little dodgy. So it was a, it was a bit of a learning curve mm -hmm. around that. But every time I networked successfully, I was helping the organization succeed mm -hmm. and learning that skill that way of networking is a is a is asking for help or making connections or whatever has been absolutely invaluable to what i'm doing now mm -hmm. and i'm here to tell you it was hard like mm -hmm. i am an i am an what they call an ambivert so i know right new term mm -hmm. yeah so i'm actually naturally introverted in, in a lot of situations, I find people overall, especially in groups, draining, whereas an extrovert finds engaging with people energizing. Mm -hmm. But I can present as extroverted in a variety of situations. So I might go to a networking function where I'm asking for help. I'm either asking for people to give me business or people to collaborate or people to teach me a new skill, like whatever it is. And when I go home, I need like a solid hour and a half of do not come near me mm -hmm. to recuperate from that. And I share that because asking for help isn't easy mm -mm. for anybody. It's not that it's especially difficult for people on the spectrum. It's just a different process. Mm -hmm. And it might be different things that you're asking for help for, but we all struggle Mm -hmm. with asking for help mm -hmm. but paulette made a really valid point there that when you don't ask for help and you put people who are caring for you in a position to be enablers hoy vey, mm -hmm. like you are going to become one with that plaid couch if you don't get off your arse and figure yeah. it out and a lot of clients come to me because they have been sitting at home for two or three years 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 and they're starting to figure out that it's really boring and it's really not that much fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, their parents have pushed them to come to see me, but that is awesome that their parents are giving them that push and now saying, okay, go for it, right? Yeah. A lot of people have trouble asking for help because they don't know who to ask for help. And that's where one of the things I do appreciate about parents yeah. because they do find that who. Who is the person you have to go to, whether it's an employment agency, whether it's a private therapist or a private coach, Mm -hmm. It does work. The parents do find people to help support the child. Yeah. And it's again, what are the goals of the, the, of the young adult and what are the goals of the, the parent and how can you make it work together so that there is success? So this per person is actually meeting their goals, whether that goal is to be living independently, yeah. or just working part time. There are different goals at different levels and it's just the ask and it's hard but if you ask, you'll get the support you need. If you're yeah. not getting the support you need, you're not in the right place. And parents need to ask for support as well. Like if it's outside yes. of your wheelhouse, mm -hmm. you know, I had a, a good friend of mine from when I lived in Montreal. So this is a long time ago. Um, 
her mom, who I've known since I was born, I think, started seeing my posts on um, Facebook and what have you around autism and employment and, and what I was doing and different events I was attending or running or whatever. And she reached out for help mm -hmm. because her eldest grandson, um, unfortunately, has ended up in a situation where, and this ties into our, our next podcast, um, because he was spending so much time alone and parents were not pushing, his alone time was reinforcing his biases to continue to be alone and they were not calling him on his behavior, mm -hmm. which was devolving into a very negative mm -hmm. situation. Um, so I've provided some resources and, and done that thing, but she reached out and asked for help because she knew, you know, would you say, so what came up for me when you talked about parents, is there a point of no return? Not sure. I don't think so. I don't think so either. No, because there's always something you can do. There's always something that, that can happen, that can change, that can motivate. There's always something there. I um, wonder if that's part of the mental state, though, is that people think it's too late to ask for help. I'm sure it is. Because when you start thinking of the people on the autism spectrum, 70% uh, of them have an anxiety, diagnosed anxiety disorders as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you're looking at people on the spectrum who need to ask for help or need to ask for guidance about anything, yeah. Their social anxiety steps in and prevents them from doing things. As a, a person with anxiety myself, I have a major anxiety disorder. I know how difficult it is to do things when the anxiety takes over. Yes, that's when I spray her with things and we breathe together and it's all good. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I jokingly with Elizabeth, as we started this podcast today, I said, just let me catch a few Pokemon and Pokemon Go. <laughs> Which I don't understand Pokemon Go. But... Yes, but... That I just nod. calms me down and gets me focused so that I can then start to do something differently. So yep. what is what everybody has their thing that they do, whether it's rocking, whether it's fidgeting with fidget toys, whether it's a few games of Pokemon Go, catch a few Pokemon. These are all things that help people focus and calm down. Why are we talking about this right now? And why am I telling the world that I play Pokemon Go at the age of 60 something? Oh, but this is fun. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> but that's no. So honestly, so thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, full disclosure, my, we were actually talking about the impact of COVID on mental health and the strain of Zoom and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so one of the things I do to cope with that, my mm. version of help, um, my husband now knows that, you know, he comes home and we hug a lot mm -hmm. because they've, they've shown that that, I think it's a like 20 second hug or whatever it is, is enough to reduce cortisol levels and, mm -hmm. and calm you down, which makes you more open to asking for help on other things. Mm -hmm. I've also recognized that I am not responsible for as much in the house as I was taking on mm -hmm. and asked for help with that. Um, one of the things I do, I love, farming shows <laughs> i know she's got her she's face palming but yeah there there is a particular series um and it what does it go it goes from the tudor monastery farm to medieval no same thing sorry to um oh crikey what was it oh here we go victorian farm edwardian farm wartime farm and then something else Part of it that I love watching it is that my family is from England and the show is based in England. 
so I get to see parts of, of England and, and do whatever. What I love about it is that I always learn something, you know, like I'm pretty self-sufficient anyway. That's why COVID hasn't really bothered me as far as certain aspects. But I love how they're always solving problems. I love how they're always teaching new skills, either osmotically or directly. And like yesterday, I learned how to make clay tiles for my roof, should I ever need them. <laughs> Which I never will. But, you know, it's nice to know that well, I could. Your she shed might need clay tiles. You just what I'm saying. Yeah. It could do. And I could build now a kiln and hire it, you know, fire it anyway. But that's the way I, I don't find the games that Paulette plays relaxing. But when she says that she needs to do that, I understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And she has her moment and goes, catches her little furry things. And, you know, it's all good in the hood. Whatever they are. I mean, I don't, you know, I support you, but I'm not going to pretend to be interested. <laughs> Oh, but you are pretending to be interested because you did really buy me two figurines. What's that? You did buy me two figurines. I, I, that's, again, a form of support, not interest. I had to ask the guy at the store what the hell these things were and were they good ones because I, I don't have the interest to find out. I'm like, it's going to make her happy. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and he launched into this whole, well, this one's better than this one because of that. And I'm like, you really don't need to go there. <laughs> That's not the type of help I need today. <laughs> I just need to know if this one's going to make her angry or happy. Go there. Yeah, it works. it works. It works. And that's, you know, it's been interesting supporting somebody on the spectrum around asking for help. And mostly because I never thought he would become so resistant to asking for help. Mm -hmm. But his perception of my ability to ask for help was also an eye-opener. So back to your point at the beginning, that perhaps what clouds people's ability to ask for help if they have a, a diagnosis of autism is their perception that neurotypicals aren't asking for help. Yeah. When in fact, the opposite, hopefully, is true. And my son and I had to have a pretty serious conversation about how much help I asked for and mm -hmm. why and when. I said, that doesn't mean I get people to do things for me. It means I get them to show me how to do what I don't know how to do and need to do. Or if it's outside of my lane, then you know, I've got to find somebody who can do that. Yeah. And he was like, really? Like, it was quite an eye-opener. And he's actually become better at asking. He's still resistant, which I don't know. Pain in the ass. But, at but least the resistance is there for many reasons. One of the, the main reasons I see that the resistance is there is because they can't predict the outcome of the ask. Who can? Nobody can. That's right. Get but a grip. They, <laughs> but it's very anxiety provoking if you can't predict the outcome. And it's, it's just one of those barriers. But again, it's very clear that if you are open and honest with your child about what you do when you ask for help, the failures that you've had oh, and yeah. you've learned from, they will learn and grow as much as you have. It might be at their own pace, but at least they will understand things differently. I hope so. Yeah. So be open. I, I don't think I was fired from a job. I was. Some jobs unsuccessfully. So, yeah. That's the same thing, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I was fired from the Texas Armadillo Bar and Grill, which no longer exists, um, because I didn't say howdy enough, apparently. And, oh my god oh yeah 
So the truth of the matter, so here comes down the perception of, of reality and ability, right? So I, to give context on this, I was the hostess and this was a Texas themed restaurant. So you had to wear cowboy boots and the uniform shirt and whatever. And as the hostess, so the person answering the front door and seating people, you had to come on with a Texas drawl and you had to say, hey there, how y'all doing? Welcome, welcome, howdy. And <laughs> I have to tell you that this Texas girl is Texan by the way of Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's more like, allo, comment ça va? Ça va bien? All right, <laughs> But it got to the point where people would be like, are you from Texas? And I would say, yes, by way of Montreal. <laughs> However, there was a manager on the floor with me. So I am, during slower times, doing the door, running the plates, cleaning tables, doing whatever. And she was sitting at the bar chit-chatting with somebody versus doing her job. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure if it came to somebody's attention. And so she decided to kind of move first and get rid of me before whatever. Um, but the day that she fired me, she starts giving me this long whatever. And I was like, zero cares given. And I'm like, so am I fired? Well, yes, we're going to have, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get you the shirt back when I'm good and ready. Cause I'm not stripping down here. And I was ticked off for a little while. She got fired two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was doing. So here, here was the tricky biscuit was that their perception of the situation and her abilities was actually what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when the reality of me not being there to save her ass every five seconds became apparent, she got canned. Yeah. I was like, nana, nana, boo, boo. You got what you deserved. That's very, so, what's that? That's very professional. Well, sometimes people suck. So, you know, you just got to call it like you see it. Um, so, but to get like, to get past that firing, I had to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I had to use my network. Um, and that's a pretty big thing to overcome when you're looking for a job is that you got fired. How do you positively frame that? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's, that's where asking for help can be key because somebody else's perception of the situation can really provide you insight on how to repackage and move mm -hmm. forward, mm -hmm. you know, versus being stuck. Yeah. So if we were to sum up, you know, some, some of the major points from today, what would you say is the number one thing you would encourage people around asking for help? Number one thing is uh, basically learning from what you're doing and learning from your mistakes in the past. And if you reach out and ask for help and it doesn't work for you, don't take that as, as a negative towards yourself. It's not about you. It's about the individual, the context, the situation. It could be the other person. Yep. Keep asking for help because you will get the help you need, the direction you need, in the right employment situation with the right managers, you will be understood and it will work for you. You can ask for help from anybody. Um, I know within the autism community, a lot of people don't feel like talking about personal questions or personal situations with their friends. Yeah. But you talk to your friends about it. We all do it. We all talk about to our friends about <clears throat> what's happened to us, what wasn't successful, what can I do to make this situation better? Yeah. You know how many times Paulette comes on and tells me she wants to kill her husband? I'm telling you. Like <laughs> there yeah it's it's a <laughs> um so like there <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you've got to talk to people and there are many people in your life that you can talk to. For sure. A lot of my clients don't want to talk to their parents. Well, you kind of feel like they're over involved sometimes. But there comes a point in every person's life where they don't want to tell their parents the personal things that are going on in their lives. And I totally accept that. So talk to someone who you feel comfortable talking to. Yeah. Ask for help from that person that you feel comfortable asking. And even if you don't know where to start, start that in and of itself is an ask for help. I know I need to change something. I know whatever, but I need help figuring out what it is. That's why I have a business coach. I pay somebody to, you know, talk me through certain situations where I'm not sure how to proceed mm -hmm. because, and I'm, I'm a trained coach myself, certified mm -hmm. coach myself. And part of my role is to help people understand that they have the answer, mm -hmm. but my perception of their situation may provide options or opportunities that they hadn't considered before. And this is something that, that you just got me thinking about this. When you ask for help, you will ask for help because you needed to find a solution. You don't yep. need to be told what to do. Exactly. I know that I have, like right now we're pivoting some stuff with Spiro Careers Canada. I know I have the solution in my head. Mm -hmm. I know it's there. I just need somebody else's perception of my ability or the situation. Mm -hmm. So I, maybe that's, you know, one of the top five is understand that everybody needs to ask for help at everybody. some point in their life. Mm -hmm. It is not a sign of incapability. It is not a sign of weakness. In fact, if I may pause it, it's a strength. It's a strength. Absolutely. Yeah. That asking for help is a strength and shows that you are open to a lot more than you realize. Yeah. And once you start asking for help, more help comes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's not a negative. If more help comes, that's a positive because people are understanding that something needs to change within the system, within the business, yep. within something, and it's not you. Yep. Right? Yep. And, and if you are currently, you know, if you are listening as somebody on the spectrum and you're stuck in the do it for me, mentality um got to be honest with you if that's working for you right now nothing anybody can do to change that until it stops working for you and you realize what you may be missing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're giving away your power and keep in mind that when you don't ask for help and somebody else is doing things for you you are living the life that they designed for you you have no control. You have no influence. You are living exactly the life that they designed for you mm -hmm. versus the life that you could have mm -hmm. if you admitted that you needed help. Yeah. So strongly encourage you to consider that. And we, I mean, where would you go for help? You can check out if you're on the spectrum and you're listening to this, um, you can check out organizations, your choice, there is Autism Ontario. There is, I know it's controversial, but there is Autism Speaks. Um, there are a variety of autism chapters that you can check out. There's all kinds of Canadian-based type. You know, depends on what you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. You can go to your GP. You can go to your family doctor. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, that's a place to start because they can then refer you to a counselor or an agency or an organization. Mm -hmm. that you might not have been aware of before. Yeah. Just, just 
start somewhere. We'll try and find some more resources and I'll attach them to the, uh, the blog post that we'll put in. So Paulette and I will commit to doing that. Mm -hmm. But I think we're good yeah. for today. Thank you for helping me. No, no problem. Anytime. On today's podcast. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> um, we're going to be having some guests coming up, which will be awesome. We'll be announcing those soon. Um, oh, and sorry, one more resource for parents: um, the Loving Push by Dr. Temple Grandin is Absolutely. invaluable. It's a fantastic resource if you're, you know, working with somebody on the spectrum and want to feel better. I felt like an absolute jerk of a parent until I read that book and realized that it is the hard work that is required. Mm -hmm. um, and parents don't ask, forget to ask for help for yourself. If you're struggling with something and, and things are just not shifting along, then yeah. as soon as you open your mouth, the universe hears you and people start showing up to help you solve the problem. Absolutely. Um, so our next one is going to be around executive function deficits and how those can get in the way of attaining goals and we'll tie it into asking for help mm -hmm. and help can be using a calendar app help can be to-do lists help can be a variety of things that give you back the control in your life that you are possibly lacking and executive functioning skills are something that you can adapt and learn and make a system that works for you honors yeah 100 percent hundred percent. My, my son's like, you're always so organized. I'm like, that's because I'm an idiot and I have lists everywhere. <laughs> she does. <laughs> I have, I use visual tools. I use auditory tools. I use reminders because I have ADD like you would not believe. <laughs> and I learned after several years of failing and, and getting in trouble and whatever that I needed to organize my shit. Otherwise, I was going to be stuck in that situation. And I was like, no, nope, not working for me. I'm going to get me some help and figure this out. So now if I ever lose my phone, I'm in deep trouble because it all lives there. <laughs> the truth, though, eh? Everything is all electronic. Yep. But it does work. It does help comes in many forms. So thank you for joining us, everybody. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you across the desk soon and helping your future look good. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Across the Desk podcast with our new series, The Future Looks Good. Please check out SpiroCareersCanada.ca to learn more about the resources available to people on the autism spectrum for employment success.